For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we know Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'll tell you the message this morning, do you love God? Do you love God? Let's open a prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship you this morning. Uh, God, we're uh, so thankful for the work you've done in our hearts and lives for all those who are in the room who know you as their Savior. They know for sure if they were to die, they'd go to heaven. Uh, God, I pray that we would never get over what you did for us on the cross. And God, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know if they were to die, that they'd wake up in heaven. Help them to talk to Pastor Nate or someone else here in the church and get their questions answered. And God, I pray that as we honestly evaluate this morning, God, if you show us that this is not where we are, help us to respond. Help us to be willing to change. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work that your Holy Spirit can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Outside of the West Edmonton Mall, most malls are not that exciting. And uh, if I go to a mall, it's because I have one specific place to go to. I'm not a mall shopper. I don't just like walking around looking at shops. If I go to a mall, I got to go find a spot. So for me, when I walk into a mall, the first thing I'm looking for is the directory, right? And when you get to the directory, you'll see a red dot. What does the red dot say? You are here. I have never argued with that dot. When I walk in, it tells me this is where I am. Then I just say, okay, this is where I am, and this is where I need to go. And I want to ask you this morning, if God shows you that you don't love him like you should, if God says you are here, don't argue with him this morning. And I hope that as we walk through this, we all understand the first and great commandment is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The question this morning I want to ask is, do you love God? John was told a twin-engine plane would be waiting at the airport. Arriving at the airport, he spotted a plane warming up outside the hangar. He jumped in and said, let's go. The pilot taxied and took off. Once in the air, John told the pilot, hey, fly over the valley so I can take a picture of the fire on the hill. The pilot said, well, why? He says, well, because I'm the photographer for a television show and I need some up-close pictures for the newscast this evening. The pilot was strangely silent for a moment and then stammered, so what you're telling me is you're not my flying instructor? <laughs> and the tagline was, always ask, never assume. Right? I mean, they got into trouble because this guy thought, hey, there's the plane that's supposed to take me. So he just jumps in and the pilot thinks this is the flying instructor. So he took off because he told him to. And once they got in the plane and up in the air, they realized we got a problem. <laughs> And just because you came to church this morning does not necessarily mean you love God like you should. Always ask, never assume. If you love God like you should, you'll see two things from our text that are true. You'll have a passion that leads to Christ's control in your life. We see that in verses 14 to 17. And you'll have a passion for the lost, verses 18 to 21. Let's look at the first part, a passion 
for Christ's control. Look at verse 14. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he who died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Skip down to verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Bible is very clear. That word compel has the idea, in the Greek, it has the idea of pressure that produces an action. That's true of everything else you love. I want to ask you this morning, do you just, at least, do you even love God the way you love the other things in your life? You know, Meadowlands is a very special place. Beaumont, all the church plants, these are all special places. And I, having 18 years here, I, I really thought, the Bible says when you get to heaven, some people are going to get gold, silver, precious stones, some are going to get wood, hay, and stubble. And I honestly thought that the small crowd was the wood, hay, and stubble crowd. But I want to tell you, after eight years of travel across America to churches almost every Sunday, I'm more convinced that the large crowd is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you think in most churches, everyone in the church is what we would call on fire for God? I mean, they are just passionate about God. They love God. They live for God. God is the central part of their life. How many of you think that is the average Christian? Actually, I'm going to say as I've traveled, that's a unique Christian. Honestly, you see a Christian like that, they stand out. You notice them because it's so unusual to see a Christian that loves God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. Do you remember back when you used to love like that? I think there's a lot of Christians in Revelation who have left their first love. They're saved. They'll get to heaven, but so as by fire, according to the text. And so I don't want to assume this morning. I want to ask. Uniquely, Paul never lost his wonder of Christ's love. We see that through many of the books God used him to write. Let's just go over a few. Go over to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, if you really love God, it's a passion that leads to Christ's control of your life. Would you agree with me that a Christian marriage should look different than an unsaved marriage? Should a Christian family look different than an unsaved family? Are there some things that Christians shouldn't watch that unsaved people watch? Are there things that Christians shouldn't say that unsaved people say? Are there things that Christians shouldn't do that unsaved people do? I think the answer, according to the text, is yes. If you're a true believer, if you're a Christian, that should change you, just like everything else you love. And as, as Paul writes in this text, I don't live for myself anymore. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Go over to Ephesians, very next book, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Take your Bible and go back to Romans chapter 8 verse 35. By the way, if you can't keep up, don't get irritated, all right? Just stay with me. Romans 8 verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Back up to chapter 5, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God demonstrates his love for us. If you know the, the life of Paul, he got saved later in life. But what he never got over was God's love for him. Christ's incomprehensible, unconditional love overwhelmed Paul. He understood that Christ died for all in the place of all. If you go back to our text in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We all understand if we got what we deserve, we would have to go to hell and pay for our sins for all eternity. And yet the Bible says if you come to him and ask for your salvation, he'll take all of your sin and give you all of his righteousness. And for all of eternity, you're never going to go to hell. You're going to go to heaven, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done for you. We love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. And the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ is the heart of Christian theology. And it produced a passionate love for Christ and Paul, as it should for all of us. Paul was overwhelmed by that love. It looks like, are we taking the Lord's Supper today? I did not know that, but hopefully this will be a good lead-in. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, I I tell everyone there's two places need to be on your bucket list. You need to visit Israel and Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. So, and one's a lot cheaper to get to than the other one. So, uh, but if you get to Israel, you'll you'll go up on the Mount of Olives, and if you get to the Mount of Olives, you'll stand on the mount, which is where it would have been when Christ was there. You'll look down the Kidron Valley, you come up the other side, you'll see the Jerusalem Wall. And you'll see the gate that they walked out of. It's walled in now, but you can see the outline of it on the wall. And the night that Jesus, was, Jesus knew he was going to be born to pay for our sins. I mean, we go back to what we celebrate at Christmas. Remember the angels? What did they say to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I mean, he knew why he was born, but now it's the time. And he gets his disciples, and they go up to the Mount of Olives, and he says, guys, this is a big deal. Tonight's the night. I need you to pray with me. And he walks apart alone, and he prays an amazing prayer. And if you've read this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, remember what he says? Father, please. Please, Father, is there another way that Jim can go to heaven? Father, please, I do not want to go through this. I do not want to die on the cross. Please, Father, is there any other way that Jim Tillotson and the people in this room can go to heaven? And the answer comes back, no. And praise God, Jesus says, thy will be done. By the way, if Jesus had asked me if I was worth it, I would have said, no, I'm not worth it. But Jesus didn't ask. He comes back, the disciples are asleep. He wakes him up. He says, guys, this is a big deal. I mean, tonight's the night. I need you to pray with me. And he goes off a second time and a second time prays the same prayer, the same request. He's already asked God about this. But he comes back to the Father a second time. Father, please. Please, Father, is there any other way? 
Do I have to be crucified? Do I have to pay for the sins of Jim Tillotson and everyone in this room? Please, Father, there must be another way. By the way, this is why you know there is no other way. This is why you know being good is not good enough to get you into heaven. Being a Baptist does not get you into heaven, nor being a Catholic or a Lutheran. Being baptized as a baby cannot get you into heaven. If any of those could get you into heaven, that's what Jesus is asking. The answer comes back, no. And Jesus says, thy will be done. He comes back, the disciples are asleep, and now he comes back. He doesn't wake them up. He just goes and prays a third time. I've been stressed before. Scientists tell us that under incredible stress, when you're just completely overwhelmed in stress, the capillaries near his skin burst. He had a bloody sweat. Humanly speaking, he's almost completely undone. And he goes and he begs the father a third time, Father, please. Please, Father, is there any other way? Please don't make me do this. And the father just simply says there's no other way. And I believe he still leaves it up to Jesus. And Jesus says, thy will be done. I'll go to the cross. And by the way, the only reason the disciples are still there is because they were asleep. They estimate a thousand. By the way, what's already taken before this? Jesus has already raised Lazarus from the dead. They're not taking, they didn't show up with like two guys. Most people believe they brought a centurion and a thousand soldiers to take Jesus that night. Why? Because he's raising people from the dead. You can't come down the Kidron Valley and up at night with torches and surprise anyone. Who's standing there seeing them come out down the hill? Jesus Christ. Does he run? By the way, you know the disciples would have because they did. They all run away. Well, Peter, first of all, whacks the guy's ear off. And the Lord says, Peter, that's not what we're doing. And he heals the man, and the disciples all run. In fact, the Bible says one person gets his coat grabbed. They tried to grab him, and he left his coat behind and kept running. No, re- no reason they would still be there had they seen the thousand torches coming down and up the hill. And Jesus goes through incredible torment. They blindfold him and they hit him in the face and say, hey, if you're really the son of God, who hit you? And he knew their name. They take a crown of thorns and smash it into his head. They whip him 39 times. You go over to Israel, you go into a dungeon that they don't know for sure it was the dungeon where Christ was, but it was a dungeon. You'll see the hole caught in the rock where they tied their hands up above their head. The vat where they would dip it into vinegar to make it sting more. 39 times his back is ripped to shreds. They put a robe on him to make fun of him. They have him carry a cross after abusing him all night long. By the way, I don't know about you, but I can handle a lot of things, but when you mock me, I'm a president of a college. We play sports. Hey, I'm pretty good until that other team mocks our team. And when they mock our team, I privately say, crush those guys. (laughs) I hate getting mocked. And here's the Son of God who's getting mocked, made fun of. The one who created this entire universe. He created every human being that's mocking him and abusing him. As he carries the cross, he stumbles and falls. And they grab someone from the crowd and say, hey, can you help? And they carry the cross. And then they throw him down. And if you understand crucifixion, you died by crucifixion, by suffocation. 
They put nails through his hands. They flex your knees so you catch up, catch a breath and come down. But eventually, you literally would just spasm out. You just couldn't push yourself up anymore, and you suffocated to death. As Jesus is on the cross with a title above his head, King of the Jews, to mock him, one angel in the Old Testament in one night killed 185,000 Assyrians. I love that song. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And he went to that cross that night, something we're going to remember today, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And Christian, don't ever get over that. Isn't it fascinating why we do this? You know, the main reason we do this is to remember. I don't know about you, but don't you think, how could I ever forget? But we do, don't we? Have you read your Bible every day this week? Have you read your Bible every day this month? For a lot of people, the answer is no, but they would say he did deserve that. Do you pray more than just to eat your food, or do you really talk to God? Do you serve at church? I remember when we were growing, we had all kinds of things that had to be done, and I would put a sign-up list, and who would always sign up first, new Christians or old Christians? <laughs> at Meadowlands, it was always the new Christians. You know what the old Christians were thinking? They'll learn. <laughs> I just think, I hope not. And honestly, most of them never did. We started with 10 people. We didn't have to clean the church every Sunday. We cleaned it once a month. And then we started growing, and we are growing so fast, we had to clean the church every week. Some of you know Tom and Irene Day. We were a lot younger back then. And I remember Tom coming up to me, isn't this exciting? We've got to clean the church every week. This is so great. And we didn't hire it out. We all did it among ourselves. Do you remember when you used to feel that way? I want to challenge you, as Paul is writing this, Paul never got over this. The love of Christ compelled him. It constrained him in Romans 5.8. The love of God was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You didn't ask him to do that, but he loved you so much. After three times, completely humanly undone, a bloody sweat, crying out, begging the Father, please, Father, is there any other way? And the answer is no, and Jesus says, I love Jim so much. I'm going to go to the cross and pay for every one of his sins. Every sin I've ever done, every sin I'll ever do, it's under the blood of Christ. When I was young, I thought I'd get to heaven and there'd be a big screen of all my sins. That's not true. When I get to heaven, my sins are under the blood. They'll never be discussed. But my works will be. What did I do for the Lord? Does the love of Christ compel you? It did, Paul. And this Jesus, there's seven great sayings on the cross. I mean, I, two of my favorite. Here are the soldiers who crucified him, mocked him, beaten him, and on the cross he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. But my favorite is the last one. It is finished. And if you sit here this morning as a Christian, you know, I know, I know I'm going to see Glenn in heaven someday. I'm glad I get to see him today, but someday we're going to see each other in heaven and not because of anything we did. Because there was a time both of us have come to Christ and said, God, we give our life to you. 
Man, you do realize that the best is ahead for every Christian in this room. There is a heaven. Debbie Talbert is in heaven. It's a real place, folks, because of this, because of what Christ did for you on the cross. And that should do something in your heart that says, I love him back. I want to live for him. I want to serve him. Paul is compelled to serve God wholeheartedly as an act of grateful worship. I already told you the Greek word for compel or constrain describes pressure that produces an action. And folks, that's true of everything we love except Jesus Christ. If you sit here today and say, man, I love golf. I love golf. And I say, really, do you have clubs? No. Do you ever go golfing? No. Do you ever watch golfing on TV? No. You know what I'm going to tell you? You don't love golf. I don't believe you. I know there's a bunch of us hunters in the room. We love to hunt. And, and if you say, I love to hunt, and I say, hey, what gun do you have? Well, I don't have one. You, you love to hunt, but you don't have a gun? Yeah, I don't have a gun. Have you ever gone hunting? No, I, I have never gone hunting. Then how do you know you love hunting? Oh, but I love hunting. I don't believe you. Because if you love hunting, you'd have a gun. <laughs> I, I share this down in the States, but when I was at Meadowlands, I loved to hunt, and I would go moose hunting every year. And I, I had a few ladies that just didn't think it was good that I shot animals. And so they would come on Sunday before I'd leave for hunting and go, I just want you to know I'm praying you don't get anything. <laughs> well, down in the States, they have a big shopping day called Black Friday, and those same kind of people are down in the States. You know, I hope you don't get anything. I can't believe you get up so early and sit and freeze and, you know, just you sit there before the sun comes up just so you can shoot something. And I see those same people on Black Friday at 3 in the morning outside of Menards, and I'm like, I, I just love driving by and go, I hope you don't get anything. <laughs> we have grandkids. We have grandkids, and our two grandkids are out, and, you know, Ann and Pavel got married here in Edmonton, but now they live over in Ontario. And they were coming home for Christmas and bringing the grandkids. And they said, we're bringing the grandkids. And my wife says, well, honey, we got to go get a crib and a high chair and toys. And I'm like, why? They're not our kids. She's like, come on. You know, they're coming. They're going to be here for a week. So we went out. You would have thought we just had the baby. We have a crib. We have a high chair. We have toys for the kids. We got all this stuff. I'm assembling a crib like when we first brought our firstborn home. Why? If you are a grandparent, the love of grandkids compels you. You have a grandparent who has a brand new grandchild. You say, hey, do you want to see a picture of my grandkid? Before you can say no, they got all the pictures out. It compels you. And if you sit here today and say, I love golfing, I love hunting, I love shopping, I love my family, it's pressure that produces an action. Do you even love God that way? Most of us love those things far more than we love God. Huge Edmonton Oilers fan. Bummer we keep getting knocked out by the two winners of the Stanley Cup the last two years. But if you are an Oilers fan, if you say, man, I love the Oilers, I say, do you have a jersey? No. Do you ever watch any of the games? No. Do you ever go? No. I don't think you're an Oilers fan. But all of us know, if you're an Oilers fan and I see a bunch of people in red jerseys with flames on them, I have no problem walking in the middle of that crowd and go, go Oilers! But boy, we go through life and we act like we're in an elevator. If you're not in an elevator very often, the unwritten rule is you don't make eye contact and you don't say anything in an elevator. And that's how most of us are about our Christian life. When's the last time everyone knows if you love to hunt? Everyone knows if you love to golf. Everyone knows if you love your grandkids. Do they know you love Jesus Christ? 
Do your coworkers know where you are today? Or do you do everything at work so that they don't know that you're a Christian? Folks, we're not salt and light. We're wood, hay, and stubble Christians, and we need to be gold, silver, and precious stone Christians. If you love to hunt, if you love to shop, if you love to hike, if you love to fish, it will constrain you. It's a pressure that produces an action. When we come and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and ignore him the rest of the week, something's wrong. I know Pastor Nate doesn't have the time to do this, but we are friends. And if he had the time and I was going to go away for a month on a mission trip, my wife and I were going to go away and we called Pastor Nate and Brittany and said, hey, would you mind coming down and taking care of our house? And if he had the time, I know he'd say yes. And Pastor Nate said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. So I said, okay, Pastor Nate, I just got to give you a few instructions before we leave. Number one, my wife loves plants. There's all kinds of plants in the house. Don't overwater, don't underwater. Here's the schedule. He says, great, I got that. So Pastor Nate, garbage day's Tuesday. Make sure you take all the garbage out on Tuesday. Every Tuesday they'll come and get the garbage. He says, okay, Jim, I got that. So Pastor Nate, here's our cat over here. You got to feed and water the cat, take care of the cat, and here's all the instructions. He says, okay, I got that. I said, you know, the downstairs toilet, sometimes it, the, the handle sticks. You got to jiggle the handle. And so, you know, if you don't jiggle the handle, it can overflow. Keep an eye on that. And if you hear it running, just jiggle the handle. It'll be fine. And he says, I got that. And if you knew my wife, she'd have all the directions typed out for him as well. And we give those instructions to him, and, and he says, Jim, I got that. I've walked him through everything. He has the list in his hand, and we walk out the door, and he says, have a great time, you guys. And could you imagine a month later, we come in, and we walk in the house, and there is a stench in our house. And we walk in the kitchen, and there is a pile of garbage. And we look around, and all the plants are dead. And we look in the back, and there's a little mound of the cross where the cat's been buried which isn't too bad, actually, but there's the cat. And we go down in the basement, and I step on the carpet, and it squishes. And I come up, and I go, Pastor Nate, what happened? He goes, oh, Jim. Jim, I love that part about taking the garbage out. I love that part. Man, that part about watering the plants, I memorized it. I got it word for word. Here, quiz me. Just quiz me. I got it. And he quotes it word for word. He goes, Jim, that part about taking care of the cat, I read that every night. I highlighted it. Look, it's highlighted, and I underlined it. I love that part. I read it every night. Look at what Pastor Nate, the cat is dead. <laughs> you know what I would think? He doesn't love me. He's not the friend I thought he was. Because if he was the friend I thought he was, that stuff would be taken care of. You know how many of us come Sunday after Sunday? Oh, I read it all the time. Man, I, I highlighted and underlined it. I, I've even memorized it. Just quiz me. Just quiz me. I can quote lots of Bible verses, but I don't do them. What do you think the God of heaven thinks? I don't think he's thinking, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think he's thinking what I would think about Pastor Nate. By the way, we are friends, and he'd never do that. But you know what I would think? I thought we were friends, but he doesn't love me. And when you come Sunday after Sunday, highlight, underline, memorize. We read a whole psalm this morning. We're going to take Lord's communion in just a minute. But if it doesn't change your life, if old things don't pass away and all things become new, if you don't read your Bible every day, 
if you don't have a powerful prayer life, if you're not serving in the local church, if you're not reaching out to lost people, I don't think you love him. And he doesn't either. Because the Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The Bible would would challenge you, don't be hearers of God's word, be doers of God's word. You know, I walk out of a lot of places and people walk up and go, hey, that was a good message. I'm just ornery enough to say, well, what'd you like about it? (laughs) Hama, 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 hama. (laughs) I love it when people walk out with a tear in their eye and say, hey, God spoke to me today. Great. That's what it was supposed to be about. I don't want to stand before God someday and say, God, I love you, and have God go, really? (laughs) Really, Jim, I'm glad you're telling me because I would have never guessed by how you lived your life. And you you got a lot of your stuff done on earth. You got a nice house. You got a nice car. You went on nice vacations. You you got a lot of your stuff done, but boy, Jim, you really didn't spend a lot of time with me on earth. I, I would have never guessed you loved me. Thanks for telling me. As he's standing there with nail prints in his hand, a wound in his side. I want to stand before my God someday and say, God, I love you. And I want him to look back at me and say, I know. I know you do, Jim. And folks, that'll only be true if the love of God compels you. My wife said this to me the other day that I thought was a great statement. When we skip our devotions, we shouldn't feel guilty. We should feel sad. Living for God shouldn't be a duty. It should be a love. When I'm not around my wife, I feel sad. Why? Because I love her. I want to spend time with her. And when you can go weeks and just show up on Sunday, this is the only feeding you got all week. You didn't. Man, your love for God should compel you. Why should you read this? Because you love it. Some of you have heard this before, but when I was in college, my wife, she's a little older than me. She doesn't like me to say that too often, but uh, so we had to write letters. The internet wasn't a big deal. I know I look younger than that, but uh, we had to write letters. And I'd write a letter to her every day. She'd write a letter to me every day, and I shared a room with three other roommates. And one day I walked in, and one of my, the letters she had written me, I'd left on my desk. But one of my roommates was kind enough to get that letter, open it up, and was reading it out loud to my other roommates when I walked in. (laughs) You're the greatest guy ever. (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) I wish I could be with you every moment. (laughs) I'm like, give me that. I read that letter, and that was good stuff. No wonder I married that girl. Why did that mean everything to me and nothing to them? Because I was in love with the one who wrote it. You know why this means everything to some of you and nothing to some of you? You're not in love with the one who wrote it. But when you love the person who wrote this, it'll change your life. You'll find in verse 17, old things will pass away. All things will become new. You skip your devotions, but daily check ESPN, the stock market, or the news. For to be the workers God wants us to be, it must be the love of Christ that compels us. When you stop loving God passionately, something else will take his place. And in time, if not corrected, our lack of love for God will become obvious to others and will hurt more than just us. Christ died so that we would no longer live for ourselves. That's what he tells you in this text. Verse 15, he who died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. If you're a Christian, you're bought with a price. When's the last time you read your Bible every day? 
for a week, for a month? When's the last time you volunteered cheerfully? By the way, I don't know about you, but if my wife has a chore to do and I do it with a bad attitude, you know what my wife will say? A lot of you know her well enough. I'll do it myself. I don't want your help. Are you doing your Christian life out of duty or are you doing it out of love? As we take communion this morning, are you overwhelmed that Jesus did that for you? And that's what we're to remember in a few moments. The body that was broken, the blood that was shed. So that you could go to heaven for all eternity. Does the love of Christ constrain you? Do you love God this morning as much as you ever have? When God is not truly worshipped, he cannot be truly served, no matter how talented, gifted, or well-meaning his servants may be. I talk about metal ends a lot, not as much because they get tired of hearing it. But we saw a lot of people in their 20s, 30s on up get saved at Meadowlands. Several are in the room right now. Do you remember when you first got saved? We, we had to go to two services at Meadowlands, and people came to me and said, you better preach the same sermon twice, because if you preach anything different, we're coming to both services, which kind of defeats the purpose of two services. <laughs> Some of you remember in the little white building, we got to the place where people had to stand for the whole service. We had no more seats. And so we would have men stand in the back, and if a visitor walked in, people would automatically get up and give their, like who in North America would stand for a whole service? Because new Christians, you know what they did? They loved being there. They loved coming to church. They loved hearing God's word preached. They loved serving. They loved each other. And they were just like, man, it was the love of Christ that compelled them. Remember Ron McMurphy. Some of you remember Ron. Got saved in his late 70s. He was married to a girl who went to United Church. She begged him to go to United Church. Ron said, I won't, if I ever go, I'm only going to a Baptist church because his mom was a Baptist. And one day they were at a coffee shop, and one of our college and career girls were working there, and she said, I'd like to invite you to our church. And she said, well, what church is it? She said, Meadowlands Baptist Church. His wife was standing right there. She said, you promised. He said, all right, I'll go. And he came. He sat in the very back. I forget what I preached on that morning, but I always gave an invitation. And when I gave the invitation, I said, if you're here and you're not sure if you were to die, you go to heaven, you'd like to meet with someone, raise your hand. I mean, immediately his hand went up. And I taught our people, if I say, I see that hand. In fact, a lot of you remember this. That was like our favorite thing to hear on a Sunday morning. And people knew if I said, I see that hand, that meant leave Pastor Jim alone. And I saw that hand, and I just made my wife back by him, and he says, hey, I, I put my hand up. I said, yeah, I saw that. So when could I meet with you? So how about Tuesday? I said, great. Went over to his and his wife was standing right there. She said, he needs this. And I walked into their house. I had a, my big Bible, and she said, I already know this. And so she was sitting across the living room in a rocking chair. I sat down on the couch next to Ron. I started going through the plan of salvation. And I was so focused on Ron, I wasn't watching her. And the next time I looked up, she'd taken her rocking chair and moved it literally right in front of me. And she said, I've never heard this either. And that day, they both trusted Christ as their Savior. And Ron came to me and said, Pastor Jim, I... I I, my mom was a Christian, and I ran away at 18. I went off into the oil patch. I haven't lived for God my whole life. Pastor Jim, I don't know how much I, I have time left to do, but I'm a woodworker. Is there anything I can do? And he made our offering plates. He made all the handrails that are still there today at, at Meadowlands. We had a Christian school in the white building. He put in our coat racks. 
I wanted to do something special for Joan's 40th and build her a, a, a cedar chest. I said, Ron, I, I, could you help me build this? But I want to surprise her, and I don't know how to do that. And he said, well, just tell her we're having marriage trouble. <laughs> so I came home and said, honey, the McMurphys are having some really serious marriage trouble. It's going to take some counseling. And my wife's like, really? In their 70s? I said, honey, it's a big problem, you know. And, and so Ron and I did that together. We planed it down. And he was as proud of it as I was when we gave it to her and confessed they didn't have marriage trouble. I remember we used to have prayer meetings early morning on Thursdays at a hotel and up on Gateway. And I was there that morning. We were just finishing up, and I got a phone call from Joan. She said, you need to get to the hospital. Ron just had a stroke. And Ron had a stroke that affected him. He was completely alert, but he couldn't talk. And they had to put him in a nursing home, and it was in Sherwood Park. And if you go to a lot of nursing homes, some are nicer than others. His had a smell when you walked in it. And we didn't have any relatives up here, and so we adopted him as grandparents. And my wife would go visit Ron twice a week. He loved gardening. She'd take in a tomato plant, break the tomato plant so you can smell it. He loved it. He, and every so often, our whole family would show up to sing to Ron. And one day, we all showed up, and we asked the kids what they wanted to sing. Came to Beth. Beth, what do you want to sing? Beth said, I want to sing, Jesus Loves Me. Remember that song? We started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. We started singing, and Ron joined us and sang every last word. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And we're crying, and he's crying. And I promise you, we had not sung that song on a Sunday morning congregation the entire time he'd been at our church. When's the last time you heard that song? When he was a little kid growing up in his home. And as he started crying and we started crying, the love of Christ compelled Ron McMurphy. And he could never say another word, but if you sang Jesus Loves Me, he'd sing every song, every word with you. When's the last time you loved God like that? That you just said, God, I love you. God, I want to do right. I want to be the husband I should be. I want to be the wife I should be. I want to be the mom I should be. I want to be the dad I should be. I don't want to look at pornography. I want to get a handle on my temper. I, I don't want to keep not serving at church. I, I don't want to keep not giving at church. Everything you love, you spend money cheerfully except God's work. That's broken. You know when the offering plate comes by or if you put it in the back, you know how you should give according to the Bible? Cheerfully. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Every time you get to put 10% of your paycheck into the offering, you know how you should feel? Woohoo! But you know how a lot of us feel? Oh, man. When I married my wife, I did not go into the ring shop and say, hey, what's the smallest diamond I can get? I walked in with all the money I had, and I said, this is all the money I have. I want the biggest thing this can get me. Why? I loved her. Do you remember back when you used to say, man, I'd love to give to God's work. Boy, I'd love to serve. Man, do you know how desperately Beaumont needs this church? Is it a challenge to set up and tear down and do all the things you have to do, but is it needed? I believe it is. And those of you that were here at the starting of this church know the challenges. 
I think Satan did not want a church in Beaumont. And every time my wife and I walk in here, you know, we get so excited. So thankful for Pastor Nate and Brittany. And you already know this, but he is an awesome pastor. There's preachers and pastors. There's a lot of preachers, a lot of guys who can preach. Preachers love to preach. Pastors love who they preach to. And you have a pastor. He loves who he preaches to. And this town, if you're not here, who's going to try and keep them out of hell? It's going to have to be you. There isn't a plan B. And I don't know about you, but I'll listen to anyone talk who's passionate and loves what they're talking about. And too often, you know why people aren't interested in our churches? They're not interested in getting to know us because we're not passionate about the God of our church. We got a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot going on. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You should no longer live for yourself. Point two, passion for the lost. I don't have time to get into that. Verses 17 to 21, you can study that yourself. But if you truly love God, you'll talk about him. If you're a golfer and you shoot a hole in one, you'll talk about the rest of your life. If you're a hunter and get a trophy animal, you'll get it mounted. It's in your home somewhere. You'll talk about that hunt the rest of your life. If you got the deal of the century, you'll talk about the rest of your life. If you got saved, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You should talk about that the rest of your life. There shouldn't be anyone that you get around that you go, man, man, I got to tell you about this. This was the most amazing thing that ever happened to me because you and I do that with everything else we love. But somehow we just love God in a different way. I had three kids, girl, boy, girl, and my wife was a fantastic cook, and she taught them to cook. I remember I came home, and, you know, they're at the door. Dad, I made supper tonight. Oh, that's so exciting, honey. I sat down and took that first bite. It did not taste like mom's. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Something's wrong. And I did what every good dad did because she's looking right at me. What do you think? I lied. <laughs> That is great, honey. (laughs) But you know what you come to know? You can't put an ingredient in or leave it out, and it doesn't change the product. You can't put God in your life or leave him out of your life and it not change the product. You know why some of you are struggling with sin and you're not having a victory? I I work with college students. A lot of them struggle with pornography, but a lot of them want to quit. But they're, they're not spending any time with God. You know, the victory over pornography is not to stay away from pornography. It's to love God. And when you love God more, you'll quit. Meadowlands had the largest group of ex-smokers and ex-drinkers I've ever been around. And I never got on them about smoking and drinking. Just say, when you love God enough, you'll quit. And the focus is, this is why the first and great commandment is love me. As we take communion, I hope that as you take this this morning, you remember. Think back to that moment when you got saved. Think back when you said, I get it, and God, you can have my whole life. I don't know if you do baby dedications here. We did them at Meadowlands. And lots of parents had no problem when they were babies. I'd bring them up. We'd give them a Bible. We'd give Mama Rose. The ba- I'd hold the baby and pray. usually pick at my microphone. <laughs> but remember, if you were ever there, we'd ask the parents, are you dedicating this child to the Lord? And at that moment, every parent said yes. 
And I said, are you willing for God's will to be done in this child? Whatever God's plan for that child is, can God have his way with that child? And every parent said yes until they turn 18. And then parents are like, there is no way I want my kid to go to the mission field. There, there's no way I want my kid to go in the ministry. There's no way I want my kid to move away from here. I mean, I want grandkids right here. What happened? Boy, I don't know about you. We had our first child. That love of that child overwhelmed me. And the same should be true for you this morning. And if I came back to the map, if you're sitting here and God said, you are here, you don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you should. You have known sin in your life that you're not dealing with. Then you don't love God like you should. Because if you love me, keep my commandments. If you are not changing, you don't love like you should. The Bible says all things pass away, all things become new. If God spoke to your heart this morning, would you talk to him and just say, God, I heard you. God, I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I should be. God, I'm sorry. I do love you. Wouldn't it be wonderful for all of us to stand before God together and say, God, we love you, and have God say, I know. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this tremendous challenge. Lord, as you used Paul to write this text, that the love of you should compel us, that we should live no longer for ourselves, but for you who died for us and gave yourself for us. And God, as just a moment, we will take the Lord's Supper to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. God, may we not take this lightly. God, may it move in our hearts. The incredible sacrifice you paid on the cross when we certainly didn't ask and we certainly didn't deserve it. That three times as you begged the Father, if there was any other way, you were willing to pay for every sin I've ever committed and every sin I will ever commit. And God, may that do something in all of our hearts this morning. May it cause all of us to desire to love you, to think about you, to spend time with you, to invest in the relationship. And God, if you spoke to our hearts, may we not just walk out of a sermon stirred but not changed. God, may we walk out of here desiring to be the Christian you saved us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.